You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Jtown. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Our text today is a text that I bet all of you know. It's a really, it's a really well-known text. Um, sometimes we just kind of associate it maybe with evangelism. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful text. I was talking to one of my good friends who happens to be sort of an expert, if you will, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. His name is Jonathan Pennington. He goes, to, uh, he goes to Sojourn East. He's one of my colleagues at school. And we were talking about this text, and he said, you know, it's just my favorite text in all of Matthew. And uh, I can see why. We're all pretty familiar with this text. And the text is Matthew 11, 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 through 30. I'd just like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds so that we can hear this invitation so that we can put behind and aside all the various things that are thrown on us or that we throw into our own lives that create just obstacles and snags and twists and turns that keep us from the way of following you. Lord, help our expectations to be lined up with your expectations and help us to hear and not just be hearers, but doers of the one who calls us and invites us home. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. All right, I got a, I got a, a bunch of questions for you, but it's probably going to be like two. Who in here is good at asking for help? Like, like really good at it. And I, I don't mean sort of talking about the things you need help with, or just letting people know the things you need help with, or just letting people know your, your troubles, and I, you know, that's fine. I don't mean just that. I mean actually asking and admitting, yeah, you know what? I need help. Because basically, basically life, we can sort of divide the world between the it's okay, I got it, and the I don't got it. Well, I don't have it, I guess, is the thing, right? So you got the I got it and the I don't got it. But the fact is, we're all kind of over on the left side. Now, maybe you're good at asking for help, and maybe you're good at even admitting it, but are you good 
at receiving the sort of help you get? Or do you kind of have like your own expectation of, here's what I need. I need X, Y, and Z, whatever that might be. And if I can get that, then I'm going to be good. And then you go to someone or you're talking to someone or you're any number of things, you're working through something with people or with a person, and they don't quite say the things that you want them to say. Or maybe you hear about some sort of new program or maybe it's a new book, right? Some kind of new series or something like that. Uh, or somebody like some kind of podcast guru. I don't know, whatever you got. And you kind of go to them or you're listening to them and it's really, really good for a few weeks, maybe a few months. And all of a sudden, like, it just sort of dries up because you thought maybe you were hearing what you needed and what you expected. And then you found, you know what? I've, I just heard about this other book. Or maybe I need to go see some other person. Or maybe I need to shift over here. Now, Maybe you're here today, and all of that describes you any given moment. Or maybe none of it. But have you, have you ever been in such a place? And maybe you are, I'm, I'm, I know some of you are this morning. Do you know that feeling of when you're looking, but you're so weighed down? You're so caught up, you're so bound by all the things that you're carrying, whether it's somebody put it on you or you put it on yourself, that you just kind of have this faraway stare. You could be staring at anything, you don't see it. But you can almost like, almost like physically feel behind your eyes, there's just this void, hollow, exhaustion, and maybe no relief. Well, if any of those things describe you in any way, shape, or form, today's text is for you. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to do anything. It's for you. Because it's for anybody who will admit that no matter how hard I've tried, no matter how many things I've resorted to, I don't, I don't got it. I don't have it. But it's hard to come to that place. And it's hard to come to that place, and it's hard to come to that place. And then hear the remedy and accept it. That's also hard. And that's also a burden. That's also an obstacle. But you know what? If that's you today, this is also a text for you. It's a text for everybody. Because it it's a personal invitation. That's really what it is. So the title of my sermon today is, You Are Personally Invited by Jesus to enter into, to be part of His kingdom. And I don't just mean in an evangelistic kind of way, which is, it is. But for anybody today, I don't care how long that you've been calling yourself a Christian, this is the message we need to hear every day because every day is a call to come to Him and to drop all of the things that are loaded on us or that we load on ourselves that keep us from coming to Him. It's an open or it's a personal invitation. Now, before we need to go any further, we probably need to settle something, which most of you probably know, but maybe some of you don't. And just in case nobody does, 
what in the world is a yoke? Right? Now, it's not Y-O-L-K, right? That's how you spell it. Okay, all right, so it's not that, but what is a yoke? Now, if you're, if you're Christian-y and you've been around for a while, you know what it is, right? But it's only because that's your background. It's not something you've probably ever used or come in contact with. So what is a yoke? There it is, all right? So it's basically a piece of wood. It doesn't have to be made of wood. And it's got two collars on it, right? You see what it does? It, it's set down on the, on the oxen there. and doesn't have to be oxen. And, you know, it's how the a field gets plowed. It binds them together. It holds them together. And it's, it's heavy enough, not it's heavy enough, right, to keep them in line. So you pull on it. They stop. You let go of the pressure. They keep going. You can kind of turn them. And that's like a fancy one, right? So here's another one. This is like the yoke I would own, right? So I'm from West Virginia. This is a, besides rope, I'm almost positive there's some duct tape down in there somewhere, right? I mean, the first one was like the Escalade yoke. This one's more like my 97 Volvo, which is not really very much of a West Virginia sort of car, but the fact that it's a 97 makes it count, right? So that's like your everyday yoke, but you get the point. Right? So Jesus says, my yoke is light and my burden is easy. So, as we come to this text, today Jesus offers you a personal invitation. Not just the person beside you, not this person behind you, but you, together and along with all the stuff that's spinning through your mind right now, all the stuff you woke up with this morning, all the stuff you went to bed with last night or didn't, it's an invitation to you. And we're going to look at two things about it. Number one, that it is an exclusive invitation. Exclusive. But it is to all of you. Because the second thing we're going to look at is it is an open, an open invitation. All right, so... One of the things that's so exclusive about this, we saw last week, you can sort of see how exclusive it is in the fact that it is so unexpected, right, what Jesus is doing. So remember last week, even John the Baptist, so Jesus comes in, everybody's expecting something, right? I mean, it is so hard to get our expectations lined up to be the way they ought to be, and that is in line with what God expects and with what God plans. There was nobody in Jesus' day who wasn't expecting something. They were all expecting the kingdom. You could have asked them. They would say, of course I believe in God. No, I mean, for crying out loud, I'm an Israelite. I, I think he's coming. I think God's going to come and he's going to do a few things. One is he's going to stomp on our enemies. They're out. And he's going to take care of like, those among us who are sort of less than kosher, right? I, well, I mean, that's actually literally true. But those people who are not quite as moral as we are, they were just basically called tax collectors and sinners. He's going to take care of all of them like that. They're gone. That's what's going to happen. And then we're on top. That's what we're, that's what we're waiting on. So it's not like they didn't expect something. And it's not like they didn't expect 
their God to come and act. They did. But they had a certain list and a certain vision of what that had to be. And then they've got all of a sudden in front of them some guy from Nazareth who is from an unknown family, and he's from Nazareth, right? Second. He doesn't really have any credentials. He's not a scholar. He's not a legal expert. He's not a priest. There's not a, they don't think there's a drop of royal blood in him. At least they don't think so. And all of a sudden he comes and he starts talking about the kingdom of God. God is at hand. And he says stuff like, oh, by the way, here's what strength looks like in my kingdom. If somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. Now imagine your idea is we're going to get on top going to go our way. We're going to be in charge. And then this guy shows up talking about the kingdom and says, hey, by the way, your enemies, the people who hate you, the people who are not like you, the people who are socially different than you, culturally different than you, morally different than you, all those things, all those things. You know those people? Love them. And I mean, you know, as Christians, we're like, yeah, amen, amen, right? I mean, because we just, get, we get so Christian-y immediately, and we're like, yes, yes, love your enemies. But love your enemies. Think about that for a second. And then he says things like, oh, by the way, if people are mean, or if they, it's actually more than mean, if whoever oppresses you, whoever oppresses you, pray for them. Pray for them. Where's all the stomping, right? Where's all the cleaning house? And what is this guy doing? He's hanging out with all these people. They're dirty. They're, doesn't, he know, doesn't he know what these people he's at this, these parties with? Doesn't he know what they were doing last night? Doesn't he know what they, what they do when they're together? What's wrong with this guy? These people are filthy. They're dirty. And even John the Baptist... As great as he was, I'm not going to repeat last week's sermon. Who is John the Baptist? John the Baptist is the last of the old, what we would call Old Testament prophets. He's the last one. Sort of like in between the times, you know, but John's the last one. And he is expecting a lot. And, and he gets it. And he's the one who proclaims Jesus is to come. And then Jesus shows up. And even for John, as great as he was, as much as he knew, as much as he had things right, even for John, he saw what Jesus was doing and said, oh, I don't know. I thought the winnowing fork and all this stuff is, I thought he was going to set things right. Even John has his doubts. And then of virtually everybody else. And that's what causes Jesus to, to do what? To compare like these towns and these places in Israel to what? To like Babylon or Sodom. And say it's going to be better for those places. You know why? Because the places that Jesus talks about, these towns and cities, they had heard. They actually had been invited. 
but in such an unexpected way from such an unexpected person. And what did they say? That's all right, man, I got it. I don't need this. I'm good to go. I don't need your weakness. I don't need your love and hugs and whatever else you're given. I'm good. I'm waiting for my enemies to get their teeth kicked in. Right? I'm showing who I am by, I'm showing who I am by like all the, I'm doing all the right stuff, man. I'm, I'm keeping all the rules. In fact, I've got even more rules to show you how good I am. I'm not interested in your tax collectors and sinners and all this other junk. Right? I'm interested in people like me because that's who God's going to help. And so it's unexpected on every level. And you can even see how unexpected it is even in Jesus' response because Jesus gives the most, unres- uh, you know, sort of the most unexpected response to all this rejection of all. And in doing so, just, just bre- this is not really, this is kind of an aside. Just for a brief moment, think about what happens when you're rejected or you don't feel accepted and how you react. Well, here's how Jesus reacted to being rejected. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So Jesus sees what's going on. I mean, he is flat out rejected. And he sees what's going on and he says, Father, I praise you for this. You know why? Because Jesus, of everybody there, Jesus was not surprised. It was exactly as Jesus planned. He's not sort of retooling. He looks at this rejection and says, Father, I praise you. I praise you for this. Now, he's not, I'm not saying he's happy or he's like high-fiving the disciples. He's like, hey, man, some other people rejected me today. This is awesome, right? Look how awesome I am. Nobody likes it. So he's not just trying to be like some sort of countercultural like cynic who every time somebody disagrees with him, he's like, of course they do. I mean, they just don't get it, you know? all their rules, all their whatever they got, all their ties. They just don't get it, man. No, he's not, he's not throwing a party, but what he is doing is he's praising God because he sees that it's not just rejection. He sees what God is doing, and he knows what God is doing, and look what it is. So here's maybe the most unexpected thing of all, and that is the people who are following and the people who are rejecting. And look what he says. I praise you because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. So basically, Jesus is saying this. The wise and the learned doesn't really have to do with just the people who are super educated. It's the people who are super competent. The people who don't need anything. People who are pretty sure they don't need help. And if they do need help, it's certainly not from you or from this guy, right? The people who don't really either know or admit that they have needs. Now, a good friend of mine ministers in a church in a super affluent neighborhood. And you're like, which one? I mean, doesn't matter, right? I'm not going to say it. I, I, I may have let it slip in the first service. I'm not going let to let that happen again. So, so he, he ministers in a, a really, really affluent place, and he's in a small Baptist church, 
And okay, it's not that sort of one place is like harder than another. It's not as though if you go to a, a less affluent neighborhood and say Jesus, everybody's like, yes, amen. Sign me up immediately, right? Because I got nothing else. So it's, every place is hard in its own way. But his place is particularly hard because as he told me or tells me all the time, I'm just surrounded by people who don't need anything. Or they, they have so much they can't see what they need, right? And there's a good reason why Jesus talks this way, right? Uh, about people who have so much. Those things become obstacles. Things they can hide behind. Things they can just get more and more and more and more of. And it's really hard for him to minister in that place. All right, that, because that's that particular sort of place. But that place is filled with A-listers. It's filled with influential people. It's filled with powerful people. And it's, for that reason, very, very difficult for him to minister in because that's the difficulty of that sort of place. I mean, imagine we're going to start like a new movement, right? And I'm going to be in charge, right, since this is my story. I'm going to be in charge, and you're going to help me sort of put this thing together. And one of the things I'm going to say is, okay, number one, you need to understand something. I don't want to attract anybody with any real money. I don't want to attract anybody with sort of I don't want anybody with influence involved. I don't think we should raise any capital. I don't think we should probably have any uh, media attention. In fact, what we want to do is get sort of anybody with money, anybody with influence, anybody who is an influencer. I, I really dislike that word, especially if they're an internet influencer. I'm like, what a horrible thing to be in. Whatever the case. So whatever, whatever, forget it for a second. I want to make sure all those people flat out reject us. That's what I want. And then we're going to be successful. That's like the road to the top. That's sort of what's going on here. It's sort of what's going on with the, with the ministry of Jesus. And then he says, but you've revealed them to infants. Now, Jesus isn't saying you all are a bunch of babies. Right? So it's not that. It's not just, you know, everybody follows me. It's like, it's, it's like being surrounded by babies all the time. No, children here are infants. It's being used in the same way as, like the, uh, as the wise and the learned. It doesn't just mean they're educated. And this doesn't mean they're just babies. It means they're like children. And what are children like by nature? Dependent, not really able to handle much on their own not even really wanting to handle much on their own a lot of times, right? So, I mean, nobody, if you're, you've never been anywhere where babies crying, the parents are like, she'll change herself, it's good. Seriously, she will. Or she'll figure it out, right? Because eventually she's going to get tired of that, figure it out. You know, or now he knows where the fridge is, right? I mean, he knows where the pans are. He, he can heat that bottle up, it's no problem. And he needs to learn. Right? Because, I mean, he's got to learn sometime. I can't just wait on him hand and foot all the time. Right? We don't even think that way, obviously. Why? Because they're children. And what do they do? It, it's, it's, like, it's like when a child, think of it this way. Think of this picture. When a child is hurt or afraid and their parent walks in, what do they do? They don't look at their parent and be like, no, stay back. I'm dealing with this one. I got it. The last thing I need is you. 
get in my way. I can clearly handle all this blood that's pouring out. I don't know why I said blood. Okay, sorry, that's disturbing, right? <laughs> I was just thinking of a childhood thing that happened to me. Um, no, they don't, the, the kids aren't just like, no, just give me a minute. What do they do? They just instinctively do what? Throw their arms up. That's what children do. Why? Because they understand, without even having to think about it, I can't handle it. I don't got it. I'm absolutely dependent. And I don't even care. That's the other thing about children. They don't even care that they don't got it. It doesn't bother them for a second. It will soon. And you reach a point where you're like, you never sort of return to that. But that's the idea. It's not just that children are dependent. They're dependent and they don't care to be dependent. In fact, they want to be. They want to be. That's the sort of infants that Jesus is talking about. It's not just people who are like, yeah, I've got some problems. You know, yeah, I've got problems. That's true. But it's the people who want to go to him and say, yeah, I can't. In fact, I don't even want to try anymore. I don't want to try to fix this anymore. Not just because I can't. I don't even want to. So that's, like that. that's why Jesus says to infants. Isn't that a weird kingdom? Isn't that a strange kingdom? Like no influencers, no A-listers. That they're not the ones, they're not the ones sort of playing a big role. But it's the people who are like children. Right? There's certain people who would just hear that and be like, that's all you gotta tell me, I'm out. But even those people who were out, even those people in Corazon and Bethesda, wherever else that Jesus was speaking in all the verses up, they heard it, right? Jesus didn't show up and like walk around at night and be like, hey, man, you, just you, I've got a secret for you. Come here, I'm going to tell you something. But don't tell anybody. It's just for you. No. He's proclaiming it to everyone. But then he says, Father, I thank you that you have not revealed it, though, to those who don't need anything or don't think they need anything, but who? To the, to the children. To the children. So, it's shockingly unexpected. The other thing is, is it's an invitation to an exclusive sort of relationship, and this is where the text sort of maybe even surprisingly gets really, really deep, really, really fast. And I'm not going to try to unpack it all. Hopefully, maybe someday we could sort of sit down, sit down like all of us, just like I'm inviting you over to my house. And so we'll just all sit down and work through it. But basically what's happening is this. You hear these words. Jesus says, all things have been entrusted to me. This is verse 27. By my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. So what Jesus is pointing here to is this, in a nutshell. Jesus is pointing to the unbroken, eternal relationship between Jesus as God the Son with God the Father. It is an intimate and even sort of private, not sort of, private relationship that they have always had that is perfectly shared with knowledge, perfectly shared with experience, 
experience, perfectly shared with expectations and plans. And Jesus says, no one knows me but you and no one knows you but me. And then what does Jesus do? This is mind-blowing. He turns and invites people what? Into that relationship. Where he does what? He reveals God the Father to them. Now, we might think, well, yeah, I mean, Trinity, sure. Right? We're not so sure. But what Jesus is saying to, you have to sort of think about in those days. So here's everybody. They're waiting for the God of Israel to act. And here's what Jesus is saying. Here's the end result. You know God who brought you up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and split the Red Sea open and sent the plagues. Remember that? You know the God who appeared or that his form, his presence appeared on Mount Sinai and smoke and thunder and lightning. You know, remember that? I'm now revealing that God to you in full in myself. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same God. It's the full revelation of everything they've, everything they've ever experienced, read about, known. And now, what? In the face of Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son. It's not less than Sinai. It's everything Sinai was pointing to. And Jesus is revealing the Father so that there's one way and one way only that you know God the Father. And that is not just to know about Jesus, but to understand Jesus is the full-on, absolute, end-all revelation of God to us as a human being. And so that's what Jesus says. So he's inviting us into this exclusive relationship that is exclusively through him. As Jesus said in another place, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man will come to the Father, what? But by me. So it's very exclusive. And then he says, it's to those that I choose to reveal it. Now, maybe you've wondered, maybe at some point, some kind of idea like this has come up, like, how do I know? How do I know that he's choosing me? Like, what if I'm not chosen? What then? I guess I'm out of luck. Well, the great news is, is there's an answer in this. Maybe not every answer, but there's an answer right in this text. Because not only is this an exclusive relationship, which it is, filled with unexpectancy and all kinds of stuff, and filled with a, a new sort of relationship. It's also, it's exclusive. It is just as much open. Exclusive, open. Exclusive? Yes. Which one is it? Yes. Is the answer. Because it is an open invitation into an exclusive sort of relationship. Now, and you can see this in the invitation in verses 28 and following. But, so if you've ever wondered, how do I know if I'm, Jesus is choosing to reveal himself to me or not? Well, I got some boxes for you to check, right? I mean, what better? There's, I got literal boxes. <laughs> You're like, he does have literal boxes, right? I mean, so, number one, are you today, are you here today, are you here today, H-E-R-E, and are you hearing 
and reading this text in front of you that says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That's a, you, I don't know. I'm not going to give you the answer, but can you check that box? Number two, this, is a little, this takes a little more introspection, and I definitely can't answer this one for you. Do you understand what the word all means here? Right? I don't mean like carefully and finely and precisely theologically sliced up and diced up to where it means something else. I just mean here in this text, when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, do you know what the word all means? You have to answer that for yourself. Three, do you deeply want peace and rest? Ever. Ever. Or do you just sort of want turmoil and trouble and you just don't ever want it to go away? You're like, you know what? Bring it on. The more the better. I, want, I just want misery. I want to be as miserable as possible because it's great. It makes me nice. It makes people love me. Right? No. Now, I need to add, though, a fourth thing. And it's this. Because you have to be willing, are you willing today, today and every day, to exchange your own expectations, your idea of what it means to be great, of what it means to be somebody, of what it means to make a name for yourself, right? Which all those things, by the way, act as burdens in our lives that drive us, the, the drive to be somebody, the drive to make a name, the drive to show that, you know, I am someone. That's a weight and a burden. Are you willing to shed that? Are you willing to exchange your troubles, your anxieties, and your countless failed attempts to find contentment and peace and rest apart from Jesus? Countless. Are you willing to exchange all that for Jesus and the peace he offers? And that's really the big box. But if the answer is yes, there's your answer to the question, how do I know if he's revealing it to me? He's calling to us right now in this text, right? So I'm not trying to parse out every sort of, some of you, I, I understand, same way, some of you are like thinking like all kinds of like knock-on sort of theological questions that are really, really important, and they are important, but it's, it really just couldn't be any clearer here. Jesus says to those I choose to reveal, and then the very next thing he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And it gets written down so that every time it's read out loud like it is today from then until the day Jesus returns, it's an open invitation. <laughs> it's not in secret. But it's an open invitation. It's an open invitation to the weary and to the burdened right? There are some conditions here, right? You have to be weary and burdened. You've got to be. I'm guessing somebody in here may be. Now, one of the, probably the, the main thing that maybe Jesus is driving at here, but there's more than this, and you can see this later in Matthew 23. Jesus talks about the, there's a whole series of woes and condemnation for some folks called Pharisees, right? And eventually, Lyle's going to have to preach that text. Um, I'm gone that weekend. Josh is gone that weekend. 
right? Every, I mean, everybody, especially Josh, right? Um, is, I mean, I'm especially, all, everybody, anybody else is gone. And uh, Lyle's here, so you'll want to come back for, that's several weeks away, though. Yeah. So I don't know what you're going to do between now and then, but whatever the case, Jesus pronounces all these woes on the Pharisees for doing what? For basically piling, he says, piling burdens on people. The burdens on the people are not just the law, but then their way of doing it, their way of being, their way of looking, their way of seeing, their way of talking, their way of living, and then making that the standard and heaping and heaping, and then making up rules that people don't even know, and then like, oh, surprise, there's another one. And then, and then taking those and saying, here's what you live up to, and if you don't, Mm. tax collector or sinner, take your choice. Now, my wife is not here. She was in the first service, so I'm sure she's not going to mind me using her as an example, right? As long as she doesn't listen to this. My wife and I, Denise, we grew up in the same church back in West Virginia. And uh, we lived in different counties, though. You're like, oh, that's sweet. Well, we didn't really go out until we were 24, right? We had very, it was sweet, right? We went to VBS together. But don't get hung up on like, wow, they've always known each other. We have. But anyway, that's a whole, that would take all day. But anyway, so we went to this church that really, and these were wonderful people. My parents were, I had the greatest parents, honestly. I'm not, it's amazing. And she has, my in-laws are great. They're the greatest people, and that church was filled with great people, and they emphasized grace all the time, and they were really loving with each other, but you know, there was this sort of side of it that was, if you came from a background that was a little bit different than ours, you looked a little bit different, maybe you smelled a little bit different, you didn't get the same sort of warm, gracious welcome as if you sort of come in like, oh, this guy blends right in. As, and they were great people. Now, there were, though, there were plenty of people there who they were always minding their P's and Q's. It was all about, if you, it was all about no movies, right, for some people, not everybody. It was like, what music you listening to? I can remember going to study school and like, I can remember like lists of bands. Not, and I'd be like, I listened to every single one of those bands, right, because my dad was not sort of one of these people. But my wife, Denise, she went to a really, really strict Christian school where it was all about sort of checking boxes, but sort of like the opposite boxes of the ones I had up here earlier. It was, here's here's what makes you a Christian. Sure, you have to believe in Jesus, right? Okay, we got that. I mean, of course, you believe in Jesus. But here's what really makes you a Christian. Uh, if you, uh, first of all, right, it's wearing particular sorts of clothes and not wearing other particular sorts of clothes. And I'm not saying nothing matters. It's definitely what you listen to, and there's certain things you will never listen to because you're a Christian. It is virtually all movies that aren't sort of maybe... Uh, Princess Bride and maybe Left Behind or something, you could watch those. Actually, in those days, it was Thief in the Night, I think, which is a movie I've still never seen. Sorry, that was a moment of pride that just came out of me just now when I said I've never seen it. I'm taking a shot at my past.
past. And so, anyway, it was all that. It was all every day was an exercise in here's the 10 things or whatever. This is what makes you a Christian. And some of you today, you know what I'm talking about. You might, have, you might come from some sort of background that was filled with good people. I, I'm not doubting that. I'm not trying to throw a whole sort of tradition under the bus. But a, whole, but, but a group of people or a tradition that comes from where it really is, yeah, you believe in Jesus. That sort of gets you in the door. But you know what really makes you a Christian? Well, here's a list. And you know what? That list is changing. And here's the one thing we can guarantee. It's growing every day. It's like the hidden rules that you're given later. And maybe you're carrying that burden today. Maybe, you just, maybe even when I say things like this, you immediately think, no, but I do have to do things. I do. This guy's making it sound we don't do anything. We can live however we want. Of course that's not what I'm saying. Because if you hear Jesus' command or Jesus' invitation, you also have to hear his command that says, anybody who comes after me must take up his cross and follow me. And you can't be just hearers of my word, but doers, right? So it's not this, all the rules, or throw everything to the wind. But you know what I'm talking about. But it doesn't even have to be that. It can be any burden, weight that you are carrying today that is there as a result of either someone else helped you put it there, or you pick it up and put it there every single day, and you are killed by it. To where it's not just a mental, like a psychological thing. You, can, you are physically, physically ground down by it. And you can feel it. And it's a burden, and it's a weight, and it never goes away. And if you slept at night, the moment you woke up, it was there, like split second. And then you carried it the rest of the day. And then you took it again to bed, you took it to bed again that night, if you slept that night. It can be any number of things. It can just be the slow grind, right? It doesn't have to be the thing I was mentioning before. It can just be sort of the slow grind of every day. And it could also be just sort of a seething, underlying anger and irritation that keeps you mad all the time at everyone and at everything. I mean, the thing is about people who are angry all the time, they're hard to be around. But you know what? After you leave them, they got to take all that anger home and vent it somehow or just hold it. They might not even know. Just mad. That is a huge, horrible, devastating, life-draining weight and burden to carry, the burden of anger. Right? Because everybody walks away from you. They're like, man, I don't like to be around that guy. But they're no longer with you. But you're with you. And all that anger is all there right now. Whatever it is. Jesus says, you have that? Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, he does say, right? He does say, take my yoke on me, on, or take my yoke on you and learn from me. And that's not like the fine print. It's not as though Jesus is saying, okay, you know, Moses and all, hard. Me, less hard. Moses, heavy. Me, a little less heavy. More doable. No, it's, 
And, and Jesus isn't comparing himself to Moses, by the way. He's comparing himself to the weight and burdens that are being placed on people to tell them this is what it looks like if you love God. Jesus' yoke is not just sort of a different set of things. The yoke that Jesus is inviting you to take on is him. Him. Learn from me. Who? Who is meek and lowly in heart. Right? And I'm not going to go through it today, but go home this afternoon and read Isaiah 53. And you will see a man of sorrows and who knows grief. That's the learn. You're learning from him. That's the yoke. The yoke is Christ Jesus himself who knows you and is humble and lowly in heart, who knows rejection. Right? It's a, it's a call to, to follow him who is the full revelation of God in human form. And finally, look what he says. You'll find rest for your souls. I kind of feel like I should just read that and walk off because I, I love that line. I love that line. You will find rest for your souls. Now, in this text, in these words, Jesus is recalling something that was written ages and ages and ages before that. And it's incredible. It's amazing what he's saying about himself and what's available to us through him if we just hear. It is Jeremiah 6.16, which goes like this. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying this. I am that ancient path. It's the path that does what? It's the path that God sets and that leads to himself. Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm that ancient path. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And he says, I, it's me. I'm that good way. It's not just a place you're going or like a road you get on. It's a person. That's what you can, ex- you can exchange all that stuff, all that garbage, all those things that is weighing. You can exchange all that for a person who says, you know what? This is a new sort of peace. This is the peace that you are looking for, and I'm offering it to you. Come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am meek and lowly in heart. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.